Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf Online, sunburymotors.com, Ford Kia Hyundai. Best to do inventory with great warranties. So important. Great pre owned inventory. With the Sunbury Motors guarantee and a fabulous service department that backs it all up every step of the way at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf Online, sunburymotors.com. Chris Mack in a moment, but first our play-by-play call of the day. 2-0 swing. There's a ball headed towards right center field. That is down, and it's going to the wall. Two runs are going to score as Perdomo gives the Diamondbacks the lead. It's now 15-13 in the top of the ninth inning. They won the game 16-13 last night in the wildest scoring day in Major League Baseball since 1894. Uh, Chris Mack is young. He would not have remembered that day. I, on the other hand, do. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good to say, did you cover that one, Steve? Did you have the call on that one? Uh, uh, no, but uh, my great-grandfather took me to the game. Great to hear from you again. How are you? You too, Steve. Thanks for calling. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, – I guess it's not totally shocking that for the second day in a row, the Pirates were on the receiving end of one of those double-digit scores. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been hard, obviously. They got off to a great start, but they're only 7-24 and over their last 31. Chris, they're going with the youth movement in full force right now, outside of the guys like, you know, like Sanchez, you know, and and McCutcheon and so forth. I I got that part. What's your thought on the youth movement? Uh, And because they're going all in on it, are the fans into it? I mean, look, nobody's excited that they've played the way they have since the end of April. Um, Nobody's excited. Um, having the worst offense in the National League since April 30th. Um, but I do think a lot of fans are of the same perspective, the same line of thinking, which is, listen, if we're going to lose with Austin Hedges and, you know, name a, a Rick Hill, uh, whoever it may be, if we're going to lose with those guys, hey, let's, let's get the young guys up here and see what we've got and see if they may be the answer to the offensive woes. And so in the last 30 days, their five top AAA prospects have all been called up, Henry Davis, Nick Gonzalez, uh, and then in just the last few days, obviously, Quinn Priester, uh, Leo Verpaguero. Uh, I'm leaving somebody out. Andy, Herna- so Andy Hernandez. Oh, and Andy Rodriguez, yeah. Andy Rodriguez, um, I meant, yeah. Yeah, so um, they've called everybody up now, and – this is where you find out if these guys are the solution or not. Uh, and I think it's, to be honest, it can be kind of an exciting time for the fans because 
you should get an answer over the next two months as to whether these guys uh, can be a part of the future or not. The future should be coming very soon, as soon as next year. Uh, or for you could look at it from the ownership perspective, not ownership perspective, but management perspective, I guess, and say, well, we're going to find out very soon if these guys that we thought are the future are the future or not, because if they aren't and if they don't show some promise over the final two months of the season, then we're in the deep end. Um, and I think that's where where the thinking has to be at this point. Uh, it's got to be in let's find out what we've got mode. Um, because next year, they could very quickly, Steve, accelerate from, oh, my gosh, these guys can't hit their way out of a wet paper bag to, oh, boy, we've got some pitching on the way, and maybe these offensive prospects figure something out. You know, the next two months will be very telling about whether 2024 – is looked at with some possibility or whether 2024 is looked at as yet another growth year. Yeah, because, for example, Carlos Santana's a veteran. He's got nine home runs. Choi's only hitting 167. McCutcheon, everybody loves. Reynolds has been hurt and so forth. So I want to get to Henry Davis. He's one that's been up the longest of of the group. What have you thought of him so far? Mm -hmm. I mean, you love his aggressiveness. He he plays at a million miles an hour. I think that's hurt him a couple times. Position that he's not all that familiar with in right field. I think that's really the only complaint people would have is you put him out there in right field, a position where if you do play a little over aggressively, it can lead to mistakes. It can lead to runs being scored against you, as we saw this past weekend. So um, that that's really the only complaint. You know, he he's also aggressive at the plate in a good way in that he looks for his pick and I think they do need to get back to that what they were in April which was hunt strikes early you know um, right. this is a young bunch of hitters who if they get uh, pitchers are going to take advantage of it they're going to take advantage of, of being in control so I like what they did early in the season when they were looking for stuff early in counts looking to drive it, sometimes simply looking to make contact and then getting on base and making a little bit of chaos. They haven't done as much of that over the last uh, two and a half, three months. So I like Davis's approach at the plate. I'll just be curious to see what the split of work is behind the plate between he and Endy and as long as he remains to be here, Austin Hedges. Well, that's that's always been the M.O. on Davis. He can hit. He can hit with power. He has shown that so far, and he's always been known as a defensive liability. I mean, it's. I mean, he. Is, I mean, you are who you are. That's who he is. I think we lost Chris there for a moment. Oh, I'm back, Steve. I'm sorry. I, I yeah, did lose you for a moment. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, I said uh, the M.O. on Davis when he was drafted was can hit, can hit with power, but is a defensive liability, especially behind the plate. I mean, he is who he is. I mean, there really is nothing on the major league level that wasn't projected when he came up. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why I think fans are, you know, you're willing to take the good with the bad, and right now you can't yeah. be picky with a team that, that, again, is the worst offensively in the National League for the last three months. Um, I think people would much rather prefer to have the offense in the lineup, yep. uh, and having that offense in the lineup is is, is preferable to just sort of, uh, you know, they, they went with the argument for a long time back in June and, and early July even, oh, well, Austin Hedges' defensive metrics this and that, and it's, 
I, <laughs> fans don't want to hear that when a, when a starting position player is hitting 186 or whatever Hedges was hitting. So, yeah, give me the young guys, especially if they're going to come up here and take their hacks and swing the bat. What have you thought of the pitching? It was good early. What have you thought about it of late? Well, I mean, Keller obviously struggled last night. Um, he yeah. has been more good than bad, though, this year. Um, yep. The rest of the rotation, I think, is a work in progress. This is what happens when you've got young guys who are still trying to figure out what they've got at the major league level. I'm not going to throw after one start Quinn Priester out because I thought the first three innings were very good. He did what, and you got to remember, he's a Neil Huntington draft pick, but he did what a Neil Huntington draft pick does on the mound. He pitches to soft contact with velocity, and... You know, it just got in trouble later on in that start. So I don't have a problem with that. They've got some building blocks, and obviously yesterday was a celebration of Paul Skeens because he came in, the right. contract was signed, people got to see him go through a little bit of a dog and pony show kind of workout, which is good. Uh, that gives you some hope. Now, I think if you're a Pirates fan, that hopefully Skeens will start. I, I would hope they start him high, start him in Altoona, let him yes. get right on the horse at double A. And then Agreed. see how much work he can get in between Altoona on September. And if you bring him up here for a cup of coffee in September, whether it's to actually start games or just get a couple innings out of the bullpen, I got no problem with that. Get him up here, and then he goes into Bradenton next February knowing what Pittsburgh is like and knowing that maybe there's a legitimate shot to start the year at the major league level. They've got, I think they've got to be aggressive with skis, but that gives you hope, certainly, that the rotation can be filled out. I agree with you, and I, I think Ben Sherrington did the right thing. In the first round, this is me, right? I always draft a college guy. I do not draft a high school guy in the first round. Draft a college guy in the Pirates position that is closer to getting to the show. Skeens is, and I completely agree with your idea to put him in Altoona because he's been pitching at double-A baseball at LSU in the SEC anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I do think that, you know, they, they kind of showed that approach not just in the first round, Steve, but throughout the draft. They drafted yes. a ton of college pitching. And so that's what gives me hope again as a, as a fan and someone who wants to see that, that they are thinking the future is closer than you would be, in, you know, the indication would be if they draft a bunch of high school arms. This tells me the future is maybe only one to two years off because these college arms can go to high A, can go to double A, can go there, can get teased really rather pretty quickly and hopefully be up here next year and in 25. I mean, it, you would hope that most of those college arms they just drafted are making a major league impact by the end of 2025 at the absolute latest. Well, it's interesting. You talk about Quinn Priester, and I watched that start the other night. Uh, and I look at it. Uh, Mitch Keller's a good example. Now, look where he is now compared to what, where he was early in his career. There's a young man that's pitching for the Red Sox today named Brian Bayo. They brought him up last year. He had a lot of ups and downs, and everybody's like, oh, my goodness. And this year, he's the ace of the staff. Okay? Everybody needs time. Priester now is going to get his time on the major league level, and if everyone's patient with him, I think it'll pay off. Yeah, I, I do. And I, I comparison to make, if if – 
Priester ends up anything like that a year from now, I mean, people will yeah. be ecstatic, and yeah. rightfully so. I think, you know, the, I saw someone mention uh, in the immediate aftermath of his start the other night, oh, man, this is, you know, this is somewhat disheartening or this is discouraging I, because they were expecting so much more, you know, velocity, stuff. And I, my response to that was, well, you don't need him to be an ace. All you need Quinn Priester to be is a good number three. Because you've yep. got a number two, you just drafted your number one, and any team, mm-hmm. Steve, you know this, that goes into October with three solid starters that they trust yeah. is in yeah. position to really make some noise if things bounce the right way. Right. Just, look, the, the toughest part for any fan base is always patience, especially one that, with a fan base that's had its patience tested more than the Pirates fan yeah. base has. They're great fans. Great fans because they hang in with us. Uh, we are getting to the end of the month. Is David Bednar a pirate at the end of the month? I think he will be. Um, the, the, the issue is if he did not have years of control left, if he were a pending free agent, I think they'd be much more likely to deal him and then maybe talk to him in the offseason about bringing him back. I don't think that's that's not feasible in this instance. Um, I think they'd get a decent return, but I don't know if it's the kind of return that makes it worth the the not just the PR hit, but I think if you look at 2024 and if they really do believe that the 24 team can be competitive, if they believe that this year's team is somewhat reminiscent of last year's Orioles, for example, and just right. arrived just a little right. ahead of schedule, you know, um, then you're going to need a closer next year and in 2025. And Bettner is under contract for those years. So um, I don't think I, – I think what we're likely to see is either G-Men Choi or Carlos Santana, maybe both, who knows, and Rich Hill all get moved. The starting pitching yeah. market is about to fire up in a really big way, Steve. Right. Um, I think now that the Angels seem to be dialing back the Otani uh, uh, discussions – I think you'll see the first move will probably come out of Chicago, whether it's the Cubs or the White Sox. There's a wealth of starters in that city that could be dealt. And then you'll start to see the trickle-down. Teams that couldn't acquire some of that talent will probably turn their attention to a crafty veteran like Rich Hill. And I think he certainly gets moved by the deadline today, if not his next start is probably his last in a Pirates uniform. And Rich Hill is the crafty veteran, the definition of it. Yeah, you know, where, oh, yeah. where his, age, yeah. his age almost matches his jersey number. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> and he is crafty, no question about that. Chris, uh, Steeler training camp is coming up. This happens every year. How fired up is the mm-hmm. is the city over the fact that the Steeler training camp is at least starting, and they don't have to talk about the Pirates? <laughs> well, I think people are hopeful because. They see what should be a big offseason of growth for guys like Kenny Pickett and Najee Harris, yeah. George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth. This offense should start to really gel and come together. They made the offensive line improvements that a lot of people wanted to see in the offseason. Uh, the news this morning that the Alex Highsmith contract extension yeah. is done tells you exactly what the game plan is for the next two or three years, Steve. The game plan is uh, control the ball. Don't turn it over. Don't ask your young quarterback to do too much. And on defense, try to create what Mike Tomlin likes to call splash plays. Turn the ball over. 
get to the quarterback with T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward. Stuff the run better than last year, certainly, and then count on Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, hopefully Joey Porter Jr. comes of age quickly and you're able to create turnovers, if not turnovers, at least disruption on the back end, and your defense wins you some football games 20-16. to 16. That's not the way a lot of franchises like to do it in the modern-day mm-hmm. NFL, but that's the way they've spent their, their money and allocated their resources. So that's their prescription for the next few years until they've got to start to turn some of these young players on the offensive side into second contracts and start to maybe reallocate that money. You'll see Cam Hayward age out eventually. Believe it or not, T.J. Watt will age out eventually, um, especially <laughs> since you know he's a, he's a Watt brother, so that happens early. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it'll happen in the next few years. They'll transition back to the, the, the balance of power and, and resources being spent on the offensive side. But for the next year or two at least, it's got to be about the defense and playing games close to the vest and causing turnovers or at least causing more turnovers than your young quarterback uh, provides the other side. Winning's fun. doesn't matter how you get there. Chris, Good point. Always, a pl- always a pleasure, my friend. Great to hear from you. Great to talk to you, Steve. We'll catch up soon and uh, hopefully get back up there for uh, a Nittany Lions game very soon. Looking forward to seeing you. Chris Mack joining us on the show today. All right. Take a break. And the seven and twenty-four was about the Pirates. It wasn't about the Yankees. All right. I want you to. Although they're probably not far behind. Are you this negative at home? Just about life. <laughs> uh, usually, no. Usually. <laughs> I mean, there are moments, but most of the time I try to keep it positive. Right. Your son isn't hitting the ball well off the tee. Right. I keep reminding you what his age is. (laughs) Why do I have to do that? This swing's about as bad as standards right now, but we're working on it. Oh, listen to you. Come on. (laughs) What is Luke, two and a half? Three and a half. Three and a half. He's three and a half years yeah. old. But he's starting. He's starting to get it a little bit. He's starting to get the stance and holding the bat right he's and all that. He's three and a so, half. Yeah. <laughs> he's three and a half. Maybe he's starting to get the stance. What the heck do you think you? What do you think? My kids, Mike Trout. Mike Trout wasn't doing that at three and a half. Come on. <laughs> oh my almighty! <laughs> Look. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert because I'm far from it. I said, but somehow we raised five of them. <laughs> I've got experience. Just take your time. <laughs> You're, you'll be good. Because okay? guess what? Okay? He's not eligible for the Major League Baseball draft yet, so there's no need to panic. That's true, but we got 13 years at least for first eligibility. Just take your time. <laughs> uh, I'll pump the brakes a little bit. Hey, like when it's over, give him a hug. Don't, oh, I do. Don't, don't throw. Don't. Oh, do you throw the ball down in disgust and knock the tee over and walk in the house? You know that. Come on. At least the backup for me with Luke is now. I still have yet to see with Mark, but with Luke, if he doesn't make it as the player himself, I know he's going to make it. 
not as a broadcaster, or maybe, but but as the as the uh, grounds crew keeper, which is just oh, yeah, as good. I, for, I forgot he's three and a half. You already got him mowing the lawn. <laughs> right. I've already I've already had some calls from child services about that. <laughs> and my response has been the same every time. It's not my kid. <laughs> we'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, almost wharf online, sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory, great pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a service department is just terrific. Takes care of the life of the vehicle. That way, when it comes time to trade in for your next SMC vehicle, you're trading in a beauty already because it's well taken care of. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost wharf online at sunburymotors.com. So we mentioned before the break, uh, San Diego State remains in uh, good standing with the Mountain West Conference. That decision made Monday night. Uh, they will get their $6.6 million that they were supposed to get as a member of the conference, and there will be no change in their status within the Mountain West. The Pac-10, Heather Dinich wrote a story late yesterday afternoon about the TV contract, and uh, Heather wrote that a league source with knowledge of the conversations told ESPN on Tuesday that they, in, that they will have a media rights deal in the, quote, near future, but the deal will not be announced at Pac-12 Media Day, which will take place Friday in Las Vegas. Uh, It is likely to include a mix of streaming and linear options, and they claim, according to the source, to be on par with the ACC and the Big 12 financially. The source said, Our 10 schools have been ridiculously patient, uh, adding that the league's patience to make a deal has actually led to more bidders coming to the table. The source said, quote, that patience is about to pay off. We'll find out in what way. Uh, But that is the story on that. Now, remember, uh, the Big Ten was in a different situation because of the addition of USC and UCLA within the negotiating period, where many thought that a year ago, and I had reported this on the show a year ago, that they thought they were going to have a media deal done by Memorial Day a year ago. Then Memorial Day came and went. I'm sitting here thinking, well, the people I talk to that are that know what's going on felt pretty good about the Memorial Day thing. Why the pause? Why the wait? Hmm. I thought that was interesting. And then I found out one month later why USC and UCLA coming in. Uh, now, did I anticipate USC and UCLA coming in? No. I didn't know anything about it. When they were talking about expansion two years ago with Texas and Oklahoma and all this rampant realignment speculation happened, you know, there were stories being thrown out there about, hey, what about Iowa State? What about Kansas? I'm sitting there like going, and I said on the show, look, if you're going to, if you're the Big Ten, you're going to expand. Go big, get USC or get Notre Dame. Okay. And I just threw that out there to throw it out there. That was not with any knowledge of anything. 
I said, look, I knew I the reason I mentioned USC was I knew that the Pac-12 media deal was up a year after the Big Ten. That's the only reason I threw it out there. Okay? Not because I I knew anything. I did not. You know, there's one of those like, hey, well, you're throwing stuff against the wall. Okay, I'll throw some stuff against the wall. Hey, go big, go home. Well, it turns out they get USC and UCLA, and that that at that point, like, ah, that's why the delay. Because I didn't know they were going to come to the conference. No. But when the second it, it was John Wilner broke the story, my first thought was, ah, that's why the delay. And so they ended up signing it in August of last year, less than a year from the time, you know, what, ten and a half months before the end of the, the contract? They're into the new contract now. Well, if the Pac-12 follows the same pattern... Their TV deal, I think the grant of rights runs out August 1st next year. So if they were to get a deal in early August, that would be about the same, quote, timetable, but for different reasons than the Big Ten. Um, The ACC has not talked about expansion. Greg Sankey really has not talked about expansion. We'll hear what Tony Petiti has to say next week in Chicago. But, you know, I think it's one of those, hey, keep your ear to the ground. Okay. I, I think that's going to be more the attitude the Big Ten takes. Let's keep the ear to the ground. Let's see, you know, without mentioning it, let's see what happens with Notre Dame's TV deal with NBC. Uh, but, again, it's not just managing football and managing the men's basketball part. It's not just that. When you are running a conference, you have to manage all the sports. That's where the that's where the scheduling complications come in. Because you have to manage all, all the sports. I can manage football, men's and women's basketball because all of them have something in common. Football and men's and women's basketball all charter. They all charter. That's not the case with other sports. How do you make those other sports and move the chess pieces around to get 16 schools to compete when you are literally coast to coast? Do you block schedule? I mean, you know, do you pick neutral sites for in-season tournaments? I mean, I don't know. But you have to answer those questions first before, and then see how it works before you then venture out into the wild and say, hey, let's get this school and this school. Let's go to 24th. You know how hard it is to manage 20? It's going to be hard enough to manage 16. How difficult is it going to be to manage 24 to 32? I know a lot of people think it's going to get to that, and they very well may be right. But at least on this day at this hour, I'm telling you, 16 is difficult to manage because you're not just managing football and you're not just managing men's and women's basketball. You're managing all of them. You are managing field hockey. You're managing men's and women's soccer. You're managing cross country. You're managing wrestling. You're managing, even though USC and UCLA don't wrestle, you still have to manage the 14 that do wrestle. You're managing baseball. You're man- managing softball. You're managing track and field. I mean, you go through the long list of you know gymnastics. Everything you're trying to manage, you're trying to put together schedules and a way of doing business with 16 schools. 
You have to see how all of that works first, and then when you feel like you've worked all the, quote, bugs out of it, then maybe you can consider and say, you know what, what do we want to do about expansion and realignment? And you may say, you know what, let's just sit where we are because we finally got this right. Or you may sit there and say, you know what, I like how it's going, we can add a couple. But you have to get to that point first. You just can't go out and just, just do it right now. Um, so, although I think I did see somebody make a comment about when it comes to the Pac-12 negotiations, they should put a copyright on the word soon. Because <laughs> they use that word a lot. Uh, let's get to Andrew Funk. Andrew Funk has signed an, uh, an Exhibit 10 contract with the Denver Nuggets. So, all right, in the end, um, this paid off. And it paid off in a way across the board where I think if you're going to slot Penn State basketball players, it's slotted out the right way. Jalen Pickett, 32nd overall pick, received a four-year contract, three of which guaranteed by the Denver Nuggets. We all felt, you know, those of us who covered, you know, all the time, Ben Jones, Mark Brennan, Nate Bauer, myself, we all felt that Seth Lundy would go in the mid-40s, end up going 46, and he gets the two-way contract. The NBA has three of those for each team, two-way contract. Then Andrew Funk ended up getting um, an Exhibit 10, and that's a one-year minimum salary NBA deal that allows the franchise to convert the contract, by the way, to a two-way contract if that change is made before the start of the regular season. So... Andrew got that contract with the Denver Nuggets. Okay? And I think it all slotted the way based on what you watched. Andrew was a terrific guy. Excellent shooter. which And his shot translates to the NBA. He was a, but great guy. Jalen Pickett got to know him over a couple of years. Really, really like him a lot. Seth Lundy... Okay, a little different category for me. Right? Only because he was there all four years. And think the world of Seth. So I'm thrilled for all three of them. And by the way, Amon Franklin, uh, who played used to play at Indiana. Uh, and then I'm trying to think. Franklin transferred out of Indiana. Uh, and... Ended up going what to the ACC, and he also got a an Exhibit Ten contract with Denver. Uh, there are also, by the way, Exhibit Tens also have an optional bonus of up to fifty thousand dollars. So what it does again, what that Exhibit Ten contract, you can designate a player as an to an affiliate in order to retain G League rights. If he is waived before the season begins, it also can be converted to a two-way, but only 
before the regular season begins. So, guys like Amon Franklin and Andrew Funk, right, means A, they're going to training camp, and they have to prove that for the start of the season they deserve a spot in the roster. So, they've gone through the summer league, and then you go from there. The key is to somehow get yourself to a two-way deal. And that's what guys like Franklin, who played at Virginia, and and uh, Andrew Funk, who played at Penn State, that's where they are. And I knew you'd like the Andrew Funk news. Bingo! I'm thrilled for him. Can't wait to see him. So, believe me, he'll work. So will Franklin. I think I, I like Franklin's game when he was at uh, Indiana. Did not see him play at Virginia, but obviously I saw him play in person at Penn State several times. And as for Andrew Funk, you cannot help but root for him. And I think he's got that skill that people love. He can hit the bomb. So here we are winding down on a Wednesday. You've only had one open complaint today because we didn't have a lot of room for you to whine, moan, and complain. I mean, to uh, (laughs) give us your opinions. (laughs) Actually, I think we about covered it. Really? For today, yeah. I mean, the day's still young where I can have a whole bunch of stuff tomorrow. You never know. But Mm. as far as we stand right now, head into the last segment of the show, those two things I had at the start of the show were about what I've had so far. Yeah. Uh, I'll make a point about Saquon Barkley, and then I'll close out the show about Shohei Otani. I don't understand what the New York Giants were doing with Saquon Barkley, I'm looking at a guy who was fifth in the NFL last year in percentage of offense for his team. I mean, 27.7% of the Giants' offense was produced by Saquon Barkley. That was fifth in the NFL. Everyone talks about wide receivers. The only wide receiver in the top five of percentage of their team's um, production, you know, yeah. You know, outside of quarterbacks. I'm talking about yards from scrimmage. It was Justin Jefferson of the Vikings. He, the only wide out in the top five. Barkley was fifth right behind Jefferson at 27.7%. If the Giants were a team that was loaded at wide receiver, now bringing in Darren Waller from the Raiders, that was a big pickup for them. Waller's going to really help them, no question. But the Giants, the Hayek kid is going to be fun, but he's a rookie. Shepard is finally back in the mix. The Giants don't have a lot of great wide receivers. And again, Daniel Jones, when Saquon Barkley is out of the lineup, his quarterback rating is 71, and he threw 16 touchdown passes and seven interceptions. But Saquon Barkley in the lineup, His quarterback rating is in the 90s with 44 touchdown passes and 17 picks. What what, what do you think Barkley means? That's why I'm really confused because Barkley was not asking to be the number one running back paid in terms of money. Christian McCaffrey has that. But Barkley was looking to get $22 million a year. He's going to be franchised here for 10. 
The best offer the Giants made was 19. He wanted 22, which, by the way, is the franchise number next year. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I'm all about production. I am not about... Because we're in an era right now where linebackers and running backs appear to be devalued. The valued positions are quarterback for obvious reasons. Left tackle, rush ends. Okay. And the devaluation has been of running backs and of linebackers. Well, if i got a three-down linebacker, that gives me as a, the versatility as a coordinator to do a wide variety of things if I have a three-down linebacker. Right? Guys that can't cover the pass, yeah, you got to take them out in sub-packages. I get. I get that part. But a three-down linebacker, invaluable in terms of scheme and an offense doesn't know what they're going to do. A three-down running back, which Barkley is, invaluable. You can line him up in the slot. You can put him outside. You can put him on the wing. You can put him in the backfield. You can play action fake to him. You can run him on third down if you want. There's so many things you can do with him. I'm all about production and results. He had over 1,300 yards rushing last year. He had nearly 400 yards receiving and did all this on 352 touches. Scored 10 touchdowns. Okay, I'm about production. You want yards and scores. I don't care how you get there. All right. Wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay, show of your time. There's been a lot of articles written about trades and so forth because of the record and what he does. You know what's interesting about that is that nobody knows how Otani feels. Nobody. Otani only talks to the media after he starts as a pitcher. He does not talk to the media any other days. He does throw so through an interpreter. And please don't get into, like, you know, he's been in this country a long time. He his ability to, to speak English, yes, but you want to be careful with how you say things, so you say things in your in what is the easiest language for you. All right, so I have zero issue with that at all. I completely understand why, because it's comfort. But nobody knows how he feels about anything. He got a game-winning hit, and they said, hey, could you come out and at least say something? And he came out, and the quote was, I'm really glad I got the hit. I'm glad we won. That was the quote. That was it. We're done. Okay. But nobody really knows. The media does not know him at all. And he's been here five and a half years, and they still don't know. They know what talent he is. Right? You can tell that his personality is fiery, bubbling, and so forth. But I mean, And even his teammates don't know him that well. Uh, but, you know, Phil Nevin tells a great story about giving when he was the third base coach for Joe Madden. He'd be firing signs down 3-0 counts. Well, Tiny finally told him, like, he said, look, don't give me any signs 3-0. I know what I'm doing. Right? So the first time they went through it, he got a 3-0 count, and he doubled. He got the second base, and with both index fingers, he pointed over at Nevin and said, it's like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> look, the guy is a marvelous talent. History is the greatest teacher going. 
There are occasions you can point to where you have taken an established star and dealt him someplace else, and you've been able to get back return. But eight to nine times out of ten, you deal the established star, and you don't even remotely get the return. And not only with Otani, on a 26-man roster, he's worth 27. Because he's he's two spots. He's a starting pitcher and plays every day. Are you going to get a starting pitcher that can replace him and a hitter that can replace him? No way. Right? No way. To me, you figure out a way to pay him and build around him.